Maybe we could sing a little verse together before I just sing a piece. It is no secret what God can do. It is no secret what God I remember when I was a young boy, I used to go to my aunt's home on a Sunday afternoon after church. And she used to put on the old gramophone. Now that's letting you know just how old we are. But she used to have the old gramophone. And she used to put on the gramophone there on a Sunday afternoon to some of the old hymns. And this is one of the hymns that I used to listen to. Maybe some of you will remember it as well. We are going down the valley one by one With our faces toward the setting of the sun Down the valley where the mournful cypress grows And the stream of death, the silent song where flows We are down the valley, going down the valley, face toward the setting of the sun. We are going down the valley, going down the valley, going down the valley, one by one. We are going down the valley, one by one. Comrades, you and I will there have none But God's hand, it will guide me lest I fall He'll go with me down the valley through it all We are going down the valley Going down the valley Our face toward the setting I'll go down that valley, our face, 
We're just setting off the sun We are going down the valley Going down the valley Going down the valley one by one Yes, we're going down the valley one by one Around me many They're building All their hopes Of beauty and wealth But what of hope Friend of heaven Tell me where will you Three, let's follow the reading of God's precious and God's holy word tonight. Pray the Spirit of God will just take of his word and write it upon each and every one of our hearts as we turn to God's infallible truth this evening. That is the book of Genesis chapter 2, and we'll commence to read at the verse number 15. Genesis 2 verse 15. 
And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord said, or the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And then turn over to the book of Romans chapter 5. A familiar passage of God's word, but in Romans chapter 5, there's one verse. I want you to notice, in the light of what we have read here in these opening verses in the book of Genesis, in Romans chapter 5, 12, it says, uh, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. And God allowed his blessing to the reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Amen. Let's just bow our heads for a wee word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word tonight. We pray that thou will help us to proclaim thy word. Help us, our God, to be faithful in its proclamation. We pray that in all things that the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored and glorified through the preaching of the gospel of Christ tonight. We pray that thou will help us, O God, just to know a deep sense of thy presence. And as we search the scriptures, O God, we pray that our hearts might be instructed through thine infallible truth. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, praying for the covering of the precious blood and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. 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 Now you'll remember as we read that third chapter of the book of Genesis, God said to Adam, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In other words, God not only tells man what he is to do because he was to dress the garden, he was to keep it. God told him what he was not to do. He said, first of all, he says, of all those other trees, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, there's nothing you one could say you wouldn't, you wouldn't misunderstand. That's a very clear declaration. God has given a very clear statement. Don't need a dictionary for it, because man could understand what God was saying. Thou shalt not eat thereof. But then God went further, and God said, Because the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so what God's saying to him, there is a price to be paid for your rebellion against my command. In other words, God says there is a price to be paid for your sin, because to defy the Lord and rebel against God, that's sin against the God of heaven. And so we find that God made a very clear statement, give a clear warning. He says, and in the day, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, when you come to the third chapter of the book of Genesis, you find that the devil comes in the form of a serpent. He speaks to Eve, and he speaks to her, and he asks her a question. He says, uh, hath God said, are you sure God has said this? Are you sure God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And so he comes, and he just asks a question. In other words, he puts a question mark, sows a seed. That's all how it started. Now, the devil didn't come in, first of all, into Eve's presence and say, you're not going to die, that's not right. He didn't do that. He sowed a seed, a little seed of doubt, put a question mark over what God said. And so he said to Eve, he said, hath God said this? Are you sure that this is God's sin? Are you sure this is not Adam just making this up? Or maybe Adam misunderstood what God said. Are you sure that God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In actual fact, God says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But, see, the devil turned it around. And he asked the question, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? God says, of every tree of the garden ye shall eat but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the devil starts to twist the word of God. And of course, that's how a lot of false teaching and false cults are actually formed. It's by twisting the word of God. Now, of course, what they do is they take a seed or a, they take a little part of truth. But then, of course, they twist the truth. And that's what the devil's master at to lead people into deception. And that's exactly the subtlety of the devil here. He wants to lead Eve and Adam ultimately into a deception that somehow they could sin against God and they could get away with it. In other words, that God won't require judgment for their sin. God will not fulfill what he has said. For God says, listen, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. A very clear declaration. But the devil puts a question mark. Not over the death part of it, but he puts a question mark over 
hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said. Now, we notice what she does in the answer to the serpent. She adds to and she takes from what God says. Now, before the Bible closes, there is a warning given in this book, and it says that there's a curse upon the man who adds to or takes from the Word of God. So we have to stay true to the Word of God. That's what it's telling us. Stay true to the book. Stay true to what God is saying. Listen to what God is really saying. No, do not misquote God. There is no reason for Adam to misunderstand or even Eve to misunderstand what God has said. But here's what she says in reply to the devil's question. He said, she said this, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit in the midst of the tree of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. God didn't mention that. She's adding too. God didn't talk about the touching. He says, you're not to eat, so therefore you don't touch. But of course she adds her bit to it. God says we're not to eat of it, we're not to touch it, and then she says, notice the next word, lest ye die. There's a taking away. God didn't say lest ye die. God says, thou shalt surely die. There wasn't a doubt about it. It was a clear declaration. And so therefore she takes away from the, the power of the authority of God's word and she adds to it and she with, with, subtracts from it and she puts in her own words. It's interesting to notice, however, that when the devil responds, the serpent responds to Eve. He had heard what God said. Because you'll notice whenever he speaks again to the woman, it says in verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Notice the devil heard the word surely. There was a certainty about it. Yes, the devil knew exactly what God had said. Ye shall surely die. But my, what does the devil do? He adds to it. One word makes all the difference. He says, ye shall not surely die. And so therefore, here's the two statements, friend. One God says, in the day thou eatest the robe, thou shalt surely die. The devil says, ye shall not surely die. Now what happened? Well, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. By one man sin into the world, and death by sin. In other words, what God says happened. What God says was true. And Adam spiritually died that day. Adam was driven from the garden. And my friend, there we find the first mention in the whole of the Bible of that word death. Die. For God says, The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
And from that day, death passed upon all men for all of sin. And every time that you watch a funeral procession going down the street or the road, Every time you watch the undertaker's hearse going past, every time you watch and you see that coffin be carried on the shoulders, perhaps even of a loved one, or maybe your own, remember this, how it all started. God said in the garden, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, and God meant it. God was not scaring man, God was warning man. And my, I hear people say, you know, whenever you stand on the pulpit and you talk about death and you talk about eternity and you talk about hell, all you're doing is you're, you're scaring man. No, friend, I'm warning. I'm warning men and women about the most inevitable thing that faces us. Save the Savior's return because we live in a world where death is everywhere. Death enters the home. Death enters the family. Death enters the party. Every occasion. Doesn't matter what it is. We listen to the news and every day you hear somebody else. Another tragedy. Maybe it's an earthquake. Maybe it's a famine. Maybe it is it's floods. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's disease. But men and women are dying. Maybe it's fire, like California. You see, friends, the people in California, with all their wealth and all their big houses, it didn't stop death. No, for the stream of death and silence onward flows. And this book says this, the last enemy that shall be destroyed his death. The very last one. And you and I will be confronted with many an enemy, and yet the Word of God says the very last of them all, the very last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, death was not in God's original creation. I tell you, the opposite is the truth. Because when you read the early chapters in the Bible, friend, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, of the book of Genesis, instead of death, you find life. For example, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, just for a moment, just to explain exactly what I mean. In Genesis chapter 1, and go there to verse number 20. It says this, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life. Life. Mark that. And fowls that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Go on down to verse number 28 of that same passage of God's word. It says this, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So in God's creation, friend, there was life. There was life. But then something happened. Death came. 
Death entered into this world. And the first mention of death is in that verse 17 of chapter 2. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. For the wages of sin is death. Now the devil contradicted the Lord. But God's word was fulfilled. And it doesn't matter what the preacher says, doesn't matter what promises the preacher will make to your friend about that just you're all right and just carry on the way you're going and live whatever way you like and, and at the end of the journey it'll all work out right. I wanted to listen to God instead of to man. Because it's with God we have to do. It's God that shall bring us to account. Sin when it is finished the Bible says, bringeth forth death. That enemy is everywhere. Every proud prince, every mighty monarch must bow before it because there's not one can avoid its power. For the scepter and the spade are side by side. Every mighty ruler Yes, every man of valor, Joshua, the mighty Joshua in the book of Joshua, he came, he said this, that the, it was his day of his death. He had to face the day of his death. And yet many times he faced many an enemy. He went out to face the enemies of Israel. He conquered them again and again, but he realized that just like every man, he had got to bow before the last enemy. We think of the modern Churchills. We think of how the Churchill was known as the mighty leader in the time of war. But Churchill had to die. Because it doesn't matter who you are. Friend. Death is everywhere. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, the saint, the sinner. Something is common for every one of us. You see, death's an enemy, but it's a hidden enemy. Because quite often it strikes when you're least expecting it. You say, but I've got youth on my side. But friend, youth promises nothing. Youth promises nothing to any one of us because that hidden enemy, we cannot be sure whenever the assault of death is going to come, whenever God will give the... Command to the angel of death. The Bible says that the, the rider upon the pale horse shall come and stop at our door. And the stream of death in silence onward flows. I want to think about that tonight just for a few moments. First of all, I want to think of the characteristics of this enemy death, its context. Turn to the book of Job, chapter 30. Now remember, Job was a man that knows exactly the reality of death because it wiped out his family. It started a day, and Job's sons and daughters were feasting and whining together. 
But before that day was finished, death had taken away. Job chapter 30. And there in the verse number 23, Job says this, For I know that thou wilt bring me to death. Do you notice the way he says it? He says, I know. He knew from personal experience, friend. He had experienced the ravages of death in his very home. He remembers the youthful days when his children were around his feet. He thinks about the happiness whenever they were there just around his feet. But now they're growing up. And now they're ready to go out into life together. And they're feasting together. And now they're having fun together. And then suddenly the angel of death visits that home. Suddenly they're all taken away. And Job's left with nothing. Just he and his wife. And then sickness touched his body and wrecked his body in pain. And his wife turned to him and she said this to him. She says, Job, do you know what you'd be far better doing? Curse God and die. He lost the favor of his partner, his wife. And the word there, curse God, means say goodbye to God, Job. What good has God been to you? And just die. No, Job said, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He says, the Lord gave And he said, the Lord hath taken away. Because you see, my friend, God is sovereign, not only in life. In the day that you were formed in your mother's belly, in the day that you were brought forth and breathed your first breath in this world, yes, God was sovereign that day in bringing you forth to life. But listen, God's sovereign in the day of your death too, and mine. Somebody asked, where was God in 9-11? I'll tell you where God was, where he is tonight. On his throne. Oh yes, everybody wants to point the finger at God whenever there's human tragedies in this world. Let me tell you, the human tragedies of this world has come about because of sin. Because there was no death before sin entered into this world. And God warned man about the reality of his sin. But man didn't want to hear God. Man did not want to follow God. Man rebelled against God. And now we find that Job's experiencing the reality of death in his life. And he said this, God, I know that thou will bring me to death. Not only my family, but me. And friends, let me tell you, it's all right whenever you lift the paper and you say, so-and-so has passed away, and in the death column, there's always a name there. Listen, one day it'll be yours and mine. For we all must. Needs die. Do you know what Job also says? He says, God, I know that thou wilt bring me to death. Bring me. You see, friend, there's something within us 
that fights for life. There's a fight for life. I remember some years ago, there's a young girl that I used to know whenever I was uh, around home and we went to the same fellowship together. This girl didn't know the Lord. She was in her teens. She, she didn't know the Lord Jesus. And many times we talked to her about God's salvation, but she didn't want to know. She was full of life, you see. And then one day she was taken to hospital. She was taken to the Royal Victoria. I was just in the college. I just started in the college at the time. And I heard that Enid was taken to hospital. I went in to see her in the Royal Victoria. They told me that she had a tumor in the brain. She was getting an operation. And so therefore, I decided we're going to talk to her about the things of God, and I begged Enid to give her heart to Christ. I left her that day. Her operation was the very next afternoon. And so I went back the next morning, just before that she would go to the theater and pray with her before she would go. Remember sitting down beside her bed and her hair was shaven off her head where the operation was going to take place. It wasn't a hair on the side of the head. I sat down for a wee moment and I said, listen, Nina, I've got to go, I've got to go to college. And I said, but I want to pray just before I go. She says, William, before you go, I want to tell you something. She said, yesterday, after you left, I thought about what you said. And you know, I thought about it, and God really spoke to my heart, and God humbled me about that. And you know what I did? I just pulled the clothes over my head. And I called on God, and I asked God to save me. And she said, my life's in God's hands now. Oh, I rejoiced with her. I went to college. After the college was over, I went straight back to the hospital. She had been a number of hours in the theater, and she was in intensive care. She was lying there. She was stacked around with some ice. Her father was standing at the bottom of the bed, and we looked at that young teenage girl. And as we looked at her, he said, William, see how she fights. She's fighting for life. But that night, she lost the battle. And Ina died. She wanted to live. So do you and I. That's why we go to the doctor, isn't it? Because somehow there's that zest for life. But here we find Job is saying, listen, I know there'll come a day. I know there'll come a moment that thou wilt bring me. And there's many a man that's cried out in the valley of death and he doesn't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to go. But friend, God brings him. That's what Job's saying. I know that thou will bring me to death and to the house appointed. Appointed. For all living. See, the book of Ecclesiastes says it like this. For everything there's a season. There's a time to be born. 
and there's a time to die. And so it is true, friend. God hath appointed bounds for me that I not pass. I not pass. I've stood as a preacher beside many a bed. I've heard little children cry around a mother's bed and cry, Mommy, don't leave us, don't leave us. We want you, Mommy. We need you, Mommy. But I want to tell you, my friend, death didn't listen to the cries of those children. For death doesn't care. It's an enemy. Not what the book says. The enemy. The last enemy. In 2 Samuel 14, 14, it says, We must needs die and be as water spilt upon the ground which cannot be gathered up. You ever spilt water? You ever try to gather it up and put it back into the jug again? And you're wasting your time. It'll not all come back in. And God says, you and I must needs die and be as water spilt upon the ground, which, get the next word, which cannot be gathered up. What does that mean? There's no coming back. And you and I, as I sang tonight the wee hymn that I heard in my auntie's old gramophone, we're going down the valley one by one with our faces toward the setting of the sun. And friend, that's true of me. And it's true of you. And you and I set our plans, and it's right that we do. But remember, there's one who is in control. And it's not me or thee. It's God. That's why it says in the scriptures, ye ought to say, James 4, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and that, as if it's his will. For God's sovereign. And you and I must bow before him. And you and I will bow in the presence of God, friend, in life and in death itself, because the context of death is this, that God is in control. We're not talking about a principle. We're talking about a reality. That's why people want to run away from it. Oh, talk to me about something else. Talk to me about the sun shining instead of the sun setting. But friend, we're facing toward the setting of the sun. But here's not only the context of it, here's the challenge of it. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. And the father gathers the family around him and he says this, Behold, I am old and I know not the day of my death. 
And that's the reality. We don't know. When am I going? I don't know. I will go. I will leave this old world. If the Lord does not come back, I will leave. I will pass through the valley of the shadow of death. I have to go. But the word of God says, I know not the day. Do you remember 1 Samuel chapter 20? Remember two young men standing in the field one day together? One was a prince. Everything to live for. The other was a shepherd boy. The prince was Jonathan. The shepherd boy was David. Do you remember how that the, the Jonathan's father, Saul, the king, was trying on several occasions, he tried to kill young David because of his jealousy. He had won the hearts of the nation of Israel, and Saul didn't want this, and so he was jealous and tried to drive the javelin through him and nail him to the wall. But God spurred him. But David was conscious of his danger. And so one day, standing in the field as they talked together, Jonathan heard this from David. Listen to the words. He says, Jonathan, friend, there is but a step between me and death. He's only a youth. And yet he felt the hounds of death on his heels. He says, but a step. But listen to me carefully, friend. Those two boys stood there speaking to each other in the field. Yes, it was true. There was only a short step between one and death. But it was Jonathan's death, not David's. but he didn't know it. Jonathan, the young prince, was closer to death than David was. But he didn't see it. Now, here's my question. How long's a step? You take a little lad there. I ask him, son, take a step. But it's not very long, is it? I asked ask some of you big men to step forward. Come on, show us what it is to take a step. And my, you reach out your leg and you take a step and say, my, that's a man's step. But the child's step was a step just the same. A young lad said to his friends one day, what age have you got to be to die? The little lad was handed a ball of string and told to go to the local cemetery and mark out the graves and he came back. He was told to tie a knot whenever he came to the end of the grave and then when he'd go and measure out and to tie another net, uh, knot and so he came back sometimes the little knots were close together, friend, of a little child. 
Sometimes they were further apart and sometimes they were wider still. So the question is, what age for us to die? There is no age. But God hath appointed a bound that we can pass. But I know not the day of my death. And that's why the psalmist, Psalm 90, which was not written by David, friend. It was written by Moses. And the Psalm 90 says this, teach us to number our days. Notice, not years. Days. That we may apply our hearts to wisdom. You see, as I said about Joshua, Joshua said this in Joshua 23, verse 14, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. This day. And that's what it comes down to, friend, to the final day. No matter how long you get, I said the other evening, my cousin Annie, she's 101, and if God spares her to February, she'll be 102. But no matter how long you get, it comes down to this day. The final day. And we know not the day of our death. And remember this also, Paul said this. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we shall carry Nothing out. And as a preacher for over 50 years, I've stood at many a coffin, I've watched many a corpse being clothed. There are no pockets in the shroud. And even if there were, the hand would never reach into it. You see, the reality, the solemnity of death. But quickly tonight, I want you to think about that. So here it is. I'm facing an enemy. And I don't know when that enemy is going to catch up with me. What do I need to do for him? I need to be ready. Oh, that they were wise that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Jack Hiles was a preacher, an American preacher. On the 13th of May, 1950, it was the day that God wrote and read the day of his father's death. Many times Jack Hiles had preached to his father and begged his father to get right with God. But his father refused to accept the Son of God as a Savior. Hiles wrote about the 13th of May. He said this. I didn't know 
It was that day. If I had known, I would have begged him to be saved. I would have got down on my knees and said, Dad, don't put it off. May the 13th, it's your last day, Dad. But I didn't know. And his dad went out into God's eternity without the Savior. I want to ask you this humble question, friend. If this is your last day, and if this is your last night, tell me, how will you die? Be honest. We all must need to die. That's what the Word of God says. It's not we all might, it says we all must. We all must needs die and be as water spilt upon the ground. God has made it very clear to us. So therefore we know we have to. I remember going into a hospital one day to visit a young lady I'd led to the Lord. She was being a Roman Catholic girl. And she was in hospital. Thank God that the Lord had gloriously saved her and she was rejoicing in God's salvation. But when in that day... She's lying crying in the bed in the hospital, the ward. I pulled the curtain round and I said, friend, what's wrong? She said, Mr. McRae, on the other side of the curtain there, there's a young woman. And she's dying. Like me, she was raised in the Church of Rome. And the priest came into her. And I watched her just through the curtain. There was just a part that was not pulled across. And I watched the priest coming in. She got up and the tears were running down her cheeks. And she says, Father, Father, I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid to die. She said he put his hand upon her and pushed her down on the bed and said, come on, girl, you know you have to. And he walked away. She said, I wanted to pull the curtains back. I just want to go to the other side of that curtain and tell her, you don't need to die in your sin. You can die in Christ. Tell me, how will you die? And no time's away tonight. Listen, that book's filled with how God tells us how people died. For example, Abner, soldier, warrior, made a man of valor, went into many a battle. And yet one day, he killed another man. Joab's brother. He hid in the city of refuge. He ran to the city of refuge. He was in the city of refuge. And then we find that just as he was about to, to, to stay in that city of refuge, how that, that one of, of, of Asiel's brother 
called him out to speak to him quietly. Now, whilst he was in that city, he was safe. He couldn't be touched. But once he stepped his foot over that city, out of that city, he could be slain. That was the law. And they said, Abner, friend, just as a word. Over here. And he put a foot outside the city of refuge. And they took the spear. Under the fifth rib. And he died. David the king followed after that young man as he was taken to the burial. And what did David the king cry out? Abner died, Abner, as a fool. Tieth. Oh, Abner, you knew. You knew what the warning was. You knew the, what the way was. You knew the safety was. You knew the law of the avenger of blood. But you were deceived out of life by another. You stepped out of the city of refuge and you died at the gate and you died a fool. Is that how you'll die? You know the way? You know the way of God's salvation. You've heard the gospel. You've been pleaded with. You've been cried over. Your, your loved ones have begged you to come to Jesus Christ. And yet you're going on in your sin. And you close your eyes on death. And go out into God's eternity. And realize that when you die and close your eyes on death, you'll die a fool. It'll not matter what you own, friend. It'll not matter what the preacher says at your funeral. Not about matter about the homily that they give. Or not matter whether your, your name's written on a headstone or not. For you die without Christ, you die a fool. And God said to the man in the scriptures, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Judas Iscariot. He died a fake. He sat amongst the disciples. He heard the Savior speak. In actual fact, he was one of the trusted disciples because he was the one that kept the bag. Not one of them doubted that he was a fervent servant of Christ. And yet, my friend, the Bible says he went to his own place. He went to hell. Not your fact, he was the one that was trusted with a bag. And whenever Jesus said that one of you sitting at this table, one of you shall betray me, not one of them said, that's Judas. Do you know what they said instead? Lord, I said, I. They doubted themselves. Not one of them doubted Judas. 
But Jesus says, one of you is a devil. And he died and went to hell. Crying out, I have betrayed the innocent blood. He died of fake. Demas, he died of failure. Demas used to be one of Paul's partners, co-laborers. And then when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said this, and I can see the tears running down his cheeks as he sits in that cell waiting for the executioner to come. And he's writing his last letter, and he says this, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this, pleasure, this present world. I wonder if there's someone here in this meeting tonight and you look back and there was a day when once you walked with God, friend, once you were bright for God, you once you were in every prayer meeting, once you were in every Bible study, my, you were bright for the Lord. But the brightness is gone tonight. Don't die a failure. The dying thief, he died forgiven. Amen. And there on that cross, Hang at the side of Christ, he cried, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Paul died faithful. He said, Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Isn't it a good way to die, friend? I've often said this and I mean it. I said, please, Lord, Help me to finish well. Help me to finish well. And that's what Paul did. Now with us, I'm through. The word of God in the book of Revelation says this. Happy are the dead, mark this, who die in the Lord. That's one death. John chapter 8 verse 21 says, Jesus said, I go my way. And ye shall seek me, but will you not find me? And ye shall die in your sins. And where I am, ye can't come. There's the other death, friend. Now, which one's yours? Will you die in the Lord? Or will you die in your sin? 
because one will take you to heaven. And the other will take you to hell. Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you'll serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy precious word and we realize the solemnity of our our meeting tonight and the solemnity of our message, oh, the reality that faces each and every one of us. Realize, our God, the only thing that matters tonight is that we're ready. We all must needs die, saved or unsaved, prepared or unprepared, ready or unready. We all will die, save Christ's return. But, oh God, it's not what will take us from this earth that matters. It's if we're ready to go. And the role is called up yonder. I'll be there. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, friend, I ask you this question honestly before God. Are you sure? Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're ready? Are you maybe relying upon an empty profession, something of years past, but you know there's nothing there tonight? Maybe you've wandered away from God. I tell you, don't waste the last years that you have. Live them for God. Serve the Lord. Don't give them the fag ends of your life. Give them the best of your life. Give them all there is. Surrender. And if there's someone not saved, I beg you in God's name, come to him tonight. Don't miss the Lord Jesus. And child of God, keep going. Press on. There's a greater day to come. And one day we'll see him as he is. If there's someone here tonight and you want to speak to me, please don't go away. Speak to Mr. McLaughlin and myself. We'll gladly open the word of God. We'll gladly show you the word of God. I know there's tea for everyone, but far more important to get ready for eternity. Far more important that Brother McLaughlin and myself spend time with you around the word of God and show you how you can be sure you're saved and know you're saved and be dead on certain that you're ready for heaven. And then what a day it'll be when we gather around the, the supper of the Lamb with Christ. Far better. Lord, bless thy word to our hearts in Jesus' precious name.